Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We are in this series on Judges, and what I learned on Thursday night, um, I tried to fit three sermons into one, um, and it didn't work very well. So, we got a long ways to go, not enough time to get there. You guys ready? That was pretty good. All right. Let's go. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, coincidentally, most of our time is going to be in Judges chapter 6. So if you get, it's in your notes, but if you want to, if you like following along in your Bible, um, just find Judges chapter 6 and you're going to be in the right zip code for today. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. And the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Uh, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying their crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, take, uh, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites, and then the Israelites cried out to help for, um, to the Lord for help. So, so far in our journey through Judges, for sure this is the worst oppression that the Israelites have ever experienced, and maybe some of the worst in their history. And when we're talking about oppression, we're talking about like, they are hiding in caves, their food is being ransacked, their livestock is being uh, stolen and taken away from them. They are desperately clinging to survival. And they cry out to the Lord for help. And so one of the things we're going to look at as we go through Judges uh, chapter 6 here is there's a, a difference between crying out to God for help because of your consequences of your circumstances. Like the, you, you've experienced consequences of your sin and you're like, I don't like the situation. I don't like the things that are going on, which is very much where Israel was at this time. So there's that, but then there's also repentance. And repentance is something altogether different. We'll unpack that in a second. Um, Judges chapter six, verse seven. <clears throat> It says, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord, your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. So, God's people are oppressed, they're desperate, their circumstances are awful, they're clinging to survival by every means possible, and they cry out to the Lord for help, and God sends them a prophet to give them a sermon. I don't know if you've ever been in a desperate situation, really in a pickle, and somebody comes and tells you everything they think you need to hear. Sometimes that doesn't go over very well, right? And so it makes you wonder, kind of like, what, would, what were God's people thinking? Like, this is it? We, like, so you tell us what we already know. Yes. Right? And so I think we're going to see a couple of things. One, uh, God reminds them of a couple of things. One, what he's done. 
And then he also talks about what they have done, that he, who he is, what, that he's the God that rescued them from Egypt, that he's the God that brought them into this land, that he's the one that drove out their enemies, that, that he's the God who told them straight up front, I'm not keeping it secret, I am the Lord, right? And don't fall into worshiping the gods in the land that you're living in now. And then he goes on to just reiterate to them, this is what you did. You just didn't listen, right? You didn't listen. So... So God sends this prophet to convict them really of their sin, to remind them like you're crying out for help, but like, are you actually ready for it? Do you know how you got here? And the Bible makes it really clear. There's a big difference between uh, regret. Uh, The Bible talks about it. Paul uses this language of worldly sorrow. That's like regret. Um, versus repentance. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, he says, for this kind of sorrow, God wants us to, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. You see, both kinds of sorrow are characterized by deep sorrow, deep sadness. Like whether it's regret for your circumstances or repentance for how your sin has affected your relationship with God, both are sorrowful. They feel bad about where they're at and what's going on. But there's a big difference between the two. Like worldly sorrow or regret doesn't actually lead to change. In fact, what we see over and over again with Israel, with us in our own lives, is that when we are regret, like we're experiencing regret, it's like we're sorry because we're experiencing the consequences of our sin. We're sorry because we got caught. We're sorry because uh, things are not fun right now. But when the consequences go away, we're no longer experiencing the consequences, then it doesn't take long and the behavior tends to return. Because you weren't sorry about the sin. You were sorry about the consequences of the sin. We see God's people go through this cycle over and over and over again. And so there's a couple of things that can stick out to us that regret is all about us, right? How am I being hurt? How is my life being ruined? How is my heart breaking? Like what's What's happening to me? How is this affecting me? That's regret versus repentance really has everything to do with your relationship with God. Uh, How has God been grieved, right? So how has the things you've done or said hurt your relationship with God? Now, sometimes that can be a little bit abstract. You can go, "Uh, I don't know, like I get the concept, but I don't really like concretely feel or grasp it. But if if you sort of, put it in the context of a, a regular relationship. So you're, maybe it's somebody that you really love, a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you really care a lot about. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's an aunt or uncle that you really love a lot or a professor that you're a huge fan of and you, just, and you really respect them. If you do something that you either do or say something and then you realize what you did or said actually really hurt that person, that you love and care about, all of a sudden there's this stuff that boils up in you that's the beginning of repentance. Like when your sorrow is focused on, it's be, you're feeling sorrow because of what your, your actions, your sin did to someone else, now all of a sudden you're starting to grasp repentance. 
And that's repentance with God. When we sin and it hurts our relationship with God, and that's where the sorrow comes from, we're on the right path to repentance and restoration. And so what we're going to see, I think, in this uh, message this morning and in Judges chapter 6, is that in the beginning here, God's people really, what they're experiencing and exhibiting is regret. Like they're sorry about their consequences, but they're not quite to repentance yet. And we'll see that as we get into the rest of the chapter. There's a few things just right out of the gate that we can learn from just the very beginning chunk of this scripture. And the first thing is that um, we need to check what you're sorry about. And so I would just encourage all of us, like it, we all experience feeling sorry about stuff, right? It could be as simple as uh, like how we're driving and then we get home and we're like, oh, I wasn't very nice to that person. I didn't let him in. I don't know. Like uh, it could be the way you treated somebody else. It could be something you said to somebody. We experience sorrow. The thing is for us is to get in the habit of like doing a gut check, like going, okay, am I sorry because it embarrassed me? Am I sorry because this it's going to make people think something bad about me? Or am I sorry because I hurt that other person? Right? Like, and to start to wrestle with, like, I want to really make sure that if, if I'm off, if I'm experiencing sorrow, if God's convicting me of something that I move towards repentance, not just regret, Right? So the second thing is uh, we have to listen to God's word. Um, That's kind of an obvious one, but it's really important because one of the things I think that we can see from this story is that as God's people are desperate and living in horrible times and hard stuff is going on, they're crying out to God for help and God answers them with his word. And how often do we get in situations where we're experiencing sorrow and regret and the circumstances that we're in are not great and we don't like them and we just want a quick fix and we don't want to have to spend the time in God's word. Like we need to go to God's word for guidance. And then the last thing is something that probably all of us are familiar with. uh, A cultural way of saying this is that if you keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, people will say that's the definition of insanity, right? We've all heard that. uh, Kind of a biblical twist on that is this point number three. If you keep having the same struggles over time, perhaps you're only regretful and not actually willing to look at why this sin is so attractive to you and then repent, right? So if you're the person that no matter what, every job you've ever had, you have a boss that's terrible. You've had 17 jobs. All 17 bosses just happened coincidentally to be the worst bosses ever. Maybe, maybe there's something going on besides just coincidentally finding 17 bad bosses, right? Like if you're, if you're perpetually in a situation where your circumstances are, are terrible or they're awful or you have hard stuff going, all the time, going on all the time, maybe it's like, am I just, do I just keep regretting my situation and then when the situation changes, I stop, right? Like, is there something else going on beneath that that we really need to unpack and look at? So, Just some stuff to chew on as we go through. Let's look at uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, most of us in the world that we live in have zero context to get the irony of that statement, right? Here's what you need to know. Uh, I'll 
threshing grain would have normally been done out on a public area. It was a communal thing. Everybody used the same space. It would have been a huge chunk of flat rock or a huge chunk of dry ground that was really hard packed because it had been used over and over and over and over again. They would bring all the grain up, the weed up, they would spread it all out and people would thresh it with sticks or they would trot it out with cattle or livestock. They would throw the grain up in the air so that the wind would take the lighter chaff away, blow it away, whichever way the wind was growing going and then whatever would fall would be the grain so it was easier to collect the grain. That was the way you did it. That's the way it had always been done. It's the only way to do it that actually made any sense with the technology they have. Gideon is in a wine press which is like a, like a rock cauldron type thing that's carved out like a hole carved out in rock that would have been made for treading out grapes It would have been made for just a couple, two or three people maybe to fit in. It was lower below the ground where the wind wouldn't have blown over it very easy. It was not easy to see. It wouldn't have been easy to bend over in. It was not the right place for that job. And here he is hiding in this wine press, trying to tread out by hand, like throw up the chaff and it just falls right back where all the grain is. It's like, well, that really didn't help at all. Now I still have everything blended together. How do you get the grain? It just made the job really difficult. And it gives you an idea. Like he would have never done that job in that place unless he was scared to death that he would be seen trying to thresh out this grain. And so because he was a full of fear, because he was hiding from the Midianites, trying to scrounge up enough grain for a loaf of bread for dinner, here he, so it's like, that's where he's at. That's what he's doing. That's why he's doing what he's doing. And an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, hey, good to see you, mighty hero. It's like, really? You do not look like mighty hero material, right? which coincidentally is exactly what Gideon thought. He thought, I don't really look like a mighty hero. So let's jump ahead to uh, verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you're fighting against one man. Now, Excuse me. There's all kinds of good stuff going on in this particular little chunk of this story. Um, so, again, the angel of the Lord says, I'm "Mighty hero, right? Like I'm the Lord is with you." And Gideon's like, I, "I don't know if you guys have ever done this. Have you ever had some words come out of your mouth before your brain could decide if it was a good idea or not?" I have. Um, some of you may have been the recipient. I'm sorry. Uh, I've done that, right? And, and I think that's a little bit like what Midian, like like what Gideon is doing here. He's got the angel of the Lord telling him, like, the, "You're an amazing hero, and the God's going to be with you." He's like, "Seriously, you could have fooled me." And then he's like, "Oops, did I say that out loud?" Right? 
Like, I don't know if you've looked around. It does not feel like God's with us. It doesn't look like God's with us. Like, I've heard stories about God being this God that brought us out of Egypt, but here we are hiding in caves. My reality doesn't look anything like the God that I've heard about. And so he challenges on that. And then I think there's something right here in the middle of Judges chapter 6 that if you take just one thing out of this message today, this, this is worth coming to church. This is worth the sacrifice you made to come here, like to, to wrap your brain around what the angel of the Lord, what God says to Gideon in verse 14. This is then God said to him, go with the strength that you have and know that I'll be with you. Go with the strength that you have and know that I'll be with you. It's like God looks at where Gideon's at. He understands like why he would think what he thinks. He understands the fear and the oppression that he's living in. And he just says, just go with what you have. And I think Gideon is wrestling and doing something that all of us do. We try to judge ourselves on whether or not we're ready for whatever God's got in front of us. It's like, I don't know enough. I don't have enough experience. I haven't, uh, I don't know enough answers. Like, what if people question me about this? What if I'm not ready for that situation? And we can easily start to think through the thing that maybe God's calling us to, the opportunity that maybe is in front of us. And we can start to evaluate it based on our own little internal grading system to see if we're ready or not. And then we can judge ourselves unworthy. Very much like Gideon goes on to explain, like, uh, do you not know who I am? He'll say, he's like, I'm from the least, the, the smallest tribe, and I'm the lowest guy on the totem pole of everybody I know. Like, mighty warrior is not the kind of thing people say to me. But I think it's so profound. Like there's such a cool thing here is that God says, go with the strength that you have. And so like, what a cool thing for all of us to grasp hold of, to go to like, to recognize that God's a God who calls you to just take what you've got and bring it to the table, right? He's like, just, he's like, I'm, I'm not asking you to be more. I'm not asking you to come and cower and just go like, I got nothing. I'm just, God, you have to do everything. He's like, no, there's more to it than that. But he's like, just bring you to the table. You come. You come in the strength that you have and trust that I'll be with you. And I wonder how many people in here might be in a situation where you're going like, I don't feel qualified. I don't feel ready. I don't feel like I'm smart enough. I don't feel like I have enough experience. I don't feel like confident enough. Like all of the ways you're talking yourself out of the calling that God's given you or the opportunity that God has before you. And God's trying to say to you, like, what if you just brought you like you and I was with you? Like, maybe that would work. I don't know. Would you be up for trying it? That might be exactly what God wanted you to hear today. And so there's a couple mistakes that Gideon makes here that all of us can make. We're all prone to make these same mistakes. Uh, one is that we tend to see our troubles as evidence that God's left us instead of asking how God is working in and through them for our good as he promises. So we look at our situation, just like Gideon did. He goes, I don't know if you, he says, you say God's the angel. The Lord said God's with us. And, and Gideon says, well, my circumstances say God's not. Have you looked around? 
And we can look at that and go, oh, Gideon didn't have very much faith. But we all fall prey to the same stuff. We let the situation we're in, our circumstances that we're in, we let those situations and circumstances dictate to us whether God's for us or against us, whether God's with us or forgotten us, whether God's abandoned us or is right with us. Rather than truth telling us if God's with us or not, we're like, well, this is what's going on in my life. It doesn't, like, like Gideon can say, it doesn't feel like God's with us. It doesn't feel like God's with me. And so that's something that we can all wrestle with, a mistake we can all make. And the other thing is that we just wonder why the Lord won't remove the problem or fix it instead of asking uh, the Lord to make us the kind of person that can handle the problem. And so I think all of us can, uh, like Gideon, just kind of look at our circumstances, when, especially when things are not going well in our lives and we feel a bit desperate. We can kind of cry out to God and go like, if you really love me, why wouldn't you just make this better? Like, why, like, like I don't want to be... I don't want to be developed into a mighty warrior. I, I, I want you to just fix it. Like, make this problem go away. As opposed to talking to God and going like, all right, Lord, I'll bring me. I'll trust that you'll bring you. Help me be the kind of person. Help me have the wisdom I need. Help me have the courage I need to, to walk through the situation that I'm in. That different perspective. All right. The next chunk I'm just going to kind of paraphrase through a little bit is uh, Judges 6, 17 through 24. It's this conversation that goes on between Gideon and the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord is talking to him. Gideon's sort of like, time out. I got to make sure this is the real deal. Like, I got to make sure you're really from God. Will you hold tight? Because I've got to ask you some serious questions. I need to bring an offering to you. I, I can't just have this. I can't ha- host you without bringing you something. He goes and kills a goat, boils it, and makes a bunch of bread. And mind you, remember, we're in circumstances where they're desperate for a meal, hiding in caves, have their food being taken from them left and right. And he goes and throws together this big feast. And he brings it back. And the angel of the Lord says to him, put all that stuff on this rock. He touches it with his staff. Oof, it burns up like a, in a flame in an instant. And then the angel of the Lord disappears. Gideon's response, here's what's really interesting. This is a fun little nugget for you to chase on your own because we don't have time to unpack it here. But almost everywhere else in the Bible, when the angel of the Lord appears, the first thing people do is fall on their face and freak out because they know, like from the appearance, they're afraid. They're like scared. Oh my gosh, it's fearful. And the angel of the Lord always responds to the people, get up, it's fine, I'm not gonna hurt you. Well, look him up. Look up all the angel of the Lord situations. This time, the angel of the Lord appears to him. It says the Lord's talking to him. The angel of the Lord's talking to him. There's this conversation. He seems to know who it is. But then the angel of the Lord disappears. Up to this point, Gideon has not been afraid. He's been talking quite candidly with the angel of the Lord. But up to this point, he's not afraid. The angel of the Lord disappears, and Gideon freaks out. His response is, uh-oh, I'm probably doomed to die. What in the world? That is a weird response. Like just a minute ago, you, get, like you went from talking to him to being candid, to being honest, to being afraid. It's because Gideon is remembering stories that he's heard, that he's learned from God's word about Moses having this story about interacting with God on Mount Sinai. And it said that God said that no one could look upon the face of the Lord and survive. And so he actually has this special interaction with Moses where he hides Moses in the cleft of a rock and God passes by and 
allows Moses to look just at the back of his glory, like to see him in passing. And out of that circumstance, Moses comes away glowing, like full of the glory of God, literally lit up. And Gideon is, is like in this context, he's remembering stories about who God is and what God's like and that experience with Moses. And he's like, it, it gives you this indication that Gideon thinks that he's just looked upon the Lord. Because his response is, I know what happens to anybody that would look upon, like nobody can do that. And so that's a fun little rabbit trail for you to chase. Like throughout that story, there's times where it says that it's an angel of the Lord. Other times it says it's the Lord. And it's like, all right, what's going on here? Is God really talking with Gideon? Is this an angel of the Lord talking with Gideon? And so he freaks out. So that's, that's the thing that's going on here. But the Lord responds to him and says, it's going to be okay. Don't be afraid. You're not going to die. Good news. That's really good to hear. Right? And and Gideon does something cool. He builds an altar there and he kind of names that altar that, that Yahweh is peace, like God is peace. It's like, whew, that did not go how I thought it was going to go for, in all the right ways. And so he remembers that God is peace. And then uh, here's some cool stuff. So the, uh, the angel goes on to tell him what he wants him to do. He's in this process of calling up Gideon to be his man. He's in this process of commissioning him, setting him apart to be a, a judge. And here's one of the first things that he does to him as they're having this conversation. Verse 25, it says, That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal, cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it, and then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary. Laying the stones carefully, sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Now, there's something really significant in this story. Again, this is why it's, it's so good to dig into God's word and just chew and learn and push past the, the like superficial, like just cursory reading of things. Like why? Anytime you see obscure details, Take the seven-year-old bull. Why does it have to be the seven-year-old bull? Why can't it be the brand-new bull? Like, well, right? So it doesn't take very many bulls to support a herd. Bulls are the boys, right? Everybody else thought that was funnier. I'll work on my setup. All right, so it doesn't take very many bulls to support a herd. And in the times that they were living in, they were really desperate. A lot of their cattle had been stolen. And so to have a herd of any kind was significant. To have a bull that was seven years old meant that this bull had been around for a while, survived for a while. It was a prime breeding bull. So to go to his father's herd and to take maybe one, if not the only, good breeding bull. To, like this is This is like taking from the security of their future. To take that bull and use that bull as a sacrifice, it's, it's just really interesting what God calls him to do because God's like, I'm about to send you out on a mission. I am calling you up as a mighty warrior. Uh, some translations will say like a man of great valor. 
But before you go out, before I give you a platform, we've got to start by fixing the way things are, the way things are going at home. Right? You've got to start by taking some of the most important things that your father owns in your own home, in your own household, and I want you to sacrifice those things and get rid of the false idols and get rid of the altars and the Asherah poles. And he, what's interesting is God didn't tell Gideon to go out into the streets and get rid of the altars and the Asherah poles. He says, go to the ones that are at your father's house. So it's like, if you're going to be my guy, I want to know, are you willing to deal at home first? And how true is that for all of us, right? It, it, nobody wants to hear unsolicited advice from someone that when you know them pretty well, they don't even follow the advice that they're giving you. You're like, eh, in one ear, out the other. Like, in fact, you're making me angry for you telling me to do these things because I know you enough to know you don't even do what you're suggesting I should do. And God's like, we're going to make sure that's not a problem. And so he does it. And he tears these things down and he sacrifices the bull. And the next morning, the townspeople wake up and the rest of the Israelites, they recognize that this, this altar's been torn down. The Asherah pole's been torn down. A new altar's been built. There's the remnants of a bull that's been sacrificed. And they're like, holy smokes, who messed with our gods? Who said that? The Midianites? No, this is God's people. God's people are offended and angry and calling for the head of Gideon because he messed with the altar to Baal and to the Asherah pole. And it's like, okay, now we get this indication. Like there's this difference. Remember at the beginning, it's like, were they repentant or did they just regret the consequences? Right now you can see they weren't really repentant. They weren't grieved because they had hurt God's heart. They were just really feeling terrible about the consequences of their situation because here we have God's people angry because Gideon had torn down this altar. And thankfully, Gideon had a dad with a backbone. Joash, his dad says, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, you're not going to attack my son. If Baal is so tough, if he's so great, let him defend himself. And that seemed to appease the people and they end up giving Gideon a nickname, Jerubabal, which is sort of like, it's kind of a slang for like the guy that kicked Paul's butt, right? Like he's the guy that went against this false god is this sort of nickname that they give him. And of course, nothing happens. And so the story goes on. Um, Soon afterward, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. And the, then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power, and he blew a ram's horn as a call to arms. And the men of the clan of Abizar came to him. And he also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. And then Gideon said, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put out this wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. And the, if the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. And then when Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. And then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. 
Let me use this fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. And the fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Now, there's something about this story that, it, one, it's a very familiar story. A lot of people have heard about the fleece of Gideon. Even if, you, even if people have no idea about who Gideon is, people have heard about this idea that you put out a fleece. It's even like a cliche kind of statement to, to say, well, I put a fleece out. Even non-Christian people would say that and understand the reference. And it's because it's become known as a strategy to make decisions. I'm going to put this out. If this happens, then this happens. If this will happen, then I'll do this. If that will happen, then I won't do that, right? And what you need to understand is that has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on with Gideon and God. So many people have wrongly attached this idea of like, I'm trying to learn how to make godly decisions with this fleece strategy when that has nothing to do with what's going on with Gideon and God. Gideon is trying to make sure that God is the God who is sovereign over everything, that God is the one true God. You got to remember, Gideon's living in a world where they worshiped all kinds of gods, gods of agriculture, gods of commerce, gods of fertility, gods of sun, gods of wind, gods of rain. There was a God for everything. And, and he's watched and lived in a world where everybody offers sacrifices, everybody worships all these different gods. And it, it's like, he goes from this, he, he, we're kind of watching Gideon go from this place of disbelief to belief. And it's like at the beginning, it's, I don't think God's really with me and I don't think I'm really the right guy for it. And then he starts to grow his belief that God is who he says he is and that he's really talking to God. But then God calls him to say, rally the troops. You've dealt with your things at home. I'm going to trust you with something bigger. Now you start to blow the ram's horn. You start to call all these people. Now Gideon's looking at this going like, I'm about to call all of our people to go to war against people that have oppressed us and destroyed us and annihilated us for seven years. We, I don't know if we stand a chance. I don't know what I'm asking our people to go into. Like, I don't want to do that unless I know for sure that this is the God that is the God that is sovereign over everything. And so it's like, he starts off with, let me see if you can do what I would expect. I would expect that overnight I would set this fleece out on the hard threshing floor ground and the hard ground overnight, the humidity and the moisture and the condensation, it soaks up into the fleece. And as the sun kind of comes up in the morning, the ground dries out and he gets up and he looks at it and he's like, the ground's pretty dry. I pick the fleece up and he squeezes it and a bunch of water comes out. It's like, that's what I would have expected to happen. He's like, forgive me, but could you do what I would not expect to happen? He's not asking because he's like, I need to know that I'll get this victory. He's asking because he's like, I want to know for sure that you're the God that's sovereign over things, that you could make something go completely the opposite of nature. And so God says, sure, throw it back out. And the next morning, the very same thing. He wakes up in the morning, but now that fleece, he picks it up and it's as dry as dry can be and the ground is soaking wet all around it. And he goes, now I know for certain. Now I know for certain that I am hearing from a God who is sovereign over all things. You're not like these other gods. And he's got this confidence where his belief is growing and he's transitioning to exactly who God called him to be, this man of valor. He's going from hiding in the wine press 
to making sure God is who he said he was right up in the middle of the threshing floor in front of everybody where he wouldn't even touch the grain before. And I think it's pretty cool stuff that we see going on. So we're going to wrap up right there. We're going to spend a little bit more time uh, over the next couple of weeks learning more about Gideon. And uh, there's lots to learn from his story. But so far, what we're seeing is we're seeing God begin to call up and commission a judge to rescue and redeem his people even before they were ready. They were crying out for help, but they hadn't yet come to repentance. And I think that's a really cool thing because that's really at the heart of what we remember every week when we take communion. So if you got one of these communion cups when you came in, if you go ahead and grab it, we're going to finish with uh, some communion and worship. And then uh, you see the baptismal up here. Um, when we get finished with worship, we're going to have a baptism. And so I just would encourage you to hang tight. Um, every week, we take communion together as a family. And we do that so that we remember Jesus. And we remember what he did for us. In the context of what we're learning about who God is and what God is like from this scripture... What we're learning is that God's a God who went about putting, like calling up someone to save his people even before his people had actually started to repent. The people are still upset that they don't get to worship Baal. Like there's something not right about that. And yet God's already having a conversation with Gideon, the guy that's going to redeem and and save his people. And it's, it happens over and over and over throughout scripture. It's what we see about who God is and what God's like. And it's just all a foreshadow to Jesus, that God is a God that was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, put the ultimate plan into place so that each and every person from then forth would have the opportunity to have their sins forgiven, to have a right relationship with him. All of that, even before people were ready before you ever repented, before you ever even thought about committing your life to follow God, long before that, God put in place a plan so that when you were ready, he would meet you right there. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.